0: My guest is uh, Dr. Jason Jones. He's the CEO of Hybrid Manutech, and the website is hybridmanutech.com. So, Jason, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Tell me about the company. What's the premise? What do you guys work on?
1: We put 3D printing inside of CNC machines, and if you don't know CNC machines, that's kind of the incumbent way of making metal parts
0: in small and medium volumes. Okay. Okay. so 3D printing, so you're making CNC machines able to do 3D printing as an additional method of manufacture? Correct. Okay. Can you go into a few details of how 3D printing is accomplished versus uh, CNC processes? Like What's the differences in them right now?
1: Sure. Most of the metal parts that are made in the world in terms of you know one-offs and molds and a lot of the tooling that we have gets cut out of a solid block of metal. And that process is very mature. And very accurate, but it's also very wasteful. And in contrast, additive or 3D printing, as we know it now, uh, normally starts with a feedstock, either powder or wire or some variation, and it gets fused together to make your parts. So it's got a lot more flexibility. It's not as fast, but that flexibility can pay big dividends. And it just offers you two different tools in the toolbox.
0: Yeah. So all right. So traditionally, uh, again, you'll have a block of metal, and you'll machine away and throw away the uh, the parts that you don't need, and I guess sculpt your part out of the metal block, right? Correct. Okay. So how much waste, on average, is there when you make a part, and can you do anything with the waste, or is it just you know there's nothing you can do with it?
1: Well, normally it becomes chips, and chips get recycled, but it's still not the most efficient path. Often people will essentially throw out more than half. And even as much as ninety or ninety-five percent of the block they've bought. So you pay good oh, wow. money for a block of metal, especially if you're in an, in an environment where weight is important. For example, on an airplane or in a you know fast car, that sort of thing. Often they'll machine 95 percent of it away.
0: Wow, oh, that's crazy. So um, you'll so with three D printing, you get the raw feedstock in what powdered form or what kind of forms that you use to make the uh, the, the metal part.
1: For us, it's usually powder,
0: wire, or pellets. Okay. And, you use, and what, what kind of processes do you use to make metal parts from those things?
1: If you look at the standards, you know, standard definition, it's called directed energy deposition. It's essentially an automated welding technique. Uh, laser is the energy source we prefer because it produces the best quality uh, metal. And then you feed the powder or other feedstock into the laser and it melts just as it arrives to the part surface and melts into the surface as well.
0: Is that called sintering or is that something different?
1: Sintering is when you don't fully melt the material. So in the early days, you know, going back a couple of decades, Trying to 3D print metal powder was in fact sintering. You'd get it hot enough that it uh, would—they call it neck together—kind of lightly glue together, more or less, uh, you know, fuse together. And then they would do a second step in an oven to really get it to to be fully dense. And nowadays, with the lasers we use, it's fully melting. It's you know, fully dense material.
0: So, so again, what are the trade-offs with a little bit of detail between CNC and 3D printing? You said. 3D printing slower, you know, how much slower? Uh, CNC is wasteful. You you talked about how wasteful, but what are the, if you put some numbers to the trade-offs, what are they right now?
1: Sure. I would say that volumetrically speaking, 3D printing is usually an order of magnitude slower. So roughly 10 times, sometimes more slower. Uh, okay. It cannot create the surface finish that's possible with CNC machining. So you've got tremendous oh, uh, flexibility and freedom in terms of geometry But the actual surface is more like sandpaper when you're finished.
0: Mm -hmm. So what about, would it be ideal then to 3D print an object and then finish it off with CNC to make it, you know, give it the the surface texture you want?
1: Exactly. In fact, the unspoken truth of virtually all parts that are made from metal, 3D printed in metal, is -hmm. that they have to get CNC machined or at least finished Mm -hmm. in some way. So 90, percent of parts that are 3D printed in metal, they go from a 3D printer, they get moved downstream to a CNC machine where all of the surfaces get finished and cleaned up and the accuracy is imparted into that part. And so we saw that and said, there are many parts where you could do both the adding and the milling in a single setup, thereby creating efficiencies and higher accuracy. And that's where hybrid manufacturing technologies was born.
0: So normally you'd have a factory with some 3D printers and then some CNC machines. You'd make the parts on the 3D printers and then you bring them over to the CNC machine and finish them off, right? Correct. So what are you trying to combine both of these into one device? And if so, why is that better than you know just having two devices sitting there and you know bringing them apart and bringing it to the next device?
1: We do combine them into one device. So we call it an all-in-one architecture, and it allows you to, on a feature-by-feature basis, decide does this feature make more sense to print or to cut? And then regardless of what path you choose for the bulk of it, at the end, you're almost always cutting. So 3D printing has phenomenal geometric freedom capabilities and material freedom capabilities. The challenge that comes with that is because you have to machine it downstream, the question arises, how am I going to hold this part to machine it? Mm, okay. So doing Absolutely. it in an all-in-one architecture allows you to Hold it as you go and even add things and then remove them, facilitating the whole process. And it's fully automated.
0: I can see it be much faster. The part does, you don't have inventory sitting at various stages. And you can theoretically make a part where you print, you machine, then you print, then you machine, you print, you go back and forth to create um, a product or a part that has the benefits of both. It has maybe like a super efficient. Um, Material usage, it has an amazing geometry you can never get with CNC, but yet it has a finished look. And I don't know what other properties, but I guess you get the best best of both worlds by doing this, right? Absolutely.
1: Yeah, for the right applications, you do get the best of both worlds.
0: All right, yeah. And it. it I guess probably speed would be the biggest drawback and tracking um, for having separate machines because um, it would have to slow it down a lot if you had to go back and forth between the two types of machines. And then again, tracking stuff, you know, you'd have like parts that are in various stages of being finished and maybe bottlenecked by waiting for the machine, you know, for uh, the next step, that kind of thing.
1: All of the line balancing challenges of a manufacturing environment, when you have this all-in-one architecture, it's a you know few seconds to change between processes. So it's suddenly, we call it digital line balancing, but it's just a decision and you push a button and it's all of a sudden swapped over. There is no more, hmm. no more bottleneck in the traditional sense.
0: That's really cool. Um, I know there's a lot to do, but so I, you're probably just staying to metal because there's, there's plenty to do in that arena. But, I mean, obviously this would work for, um, you know, uh, parts and things created from other materials, plastics, uh, resins, uh, not just metals, right?
1: Correct. And we do have a uh, high volume plastic deposition head as well.
0: Okay. Um, so what's, uh, I mean, I don't know, can you say more, like, what have, what have you been able to do with this hybrid process that you couldn't do before? you know, in terms of functionality or um, efficiency, like, again, putting some numbers to things, what what kind of things you've been able to do?
1: Sure. Well, there's three or four use cases that are especially uh, appropriate for this type of implementation. So our very early work was on parts that usually are used either in turbines or in some type of a turbocharger, which are typically made from nickel. And they spin around very, very, very fast. So if you have a turbocharged engine, you've got one of these in your engine and it spins and it wears out. And the traditional way of handling it is you pull it out of you know, the engine and you melt it down and try to recast it. So you've got to recycle it. In contrast, what we find is it's only about the top five, you know, three to five millimeters. So you're like eighth of an inch or just a little bit more that needs repairing. So if we can pull these out, add the metal back on where it needs it. Finish it in a single setup, then it can go back into an engine, and the engine's you know ready to run again. We we did research early on with Cummins, you know, the Cummins diesel engine manufacturer, and they were thrilled because as they remanufacture engines, a lot of these larger uh, you know diesel engines they get brought back in for refurbishment, and they struggle to get enough parts the new parts being made on the line are prioritized for new engines. And so frequently they'll have engines to rebuild waiting on parts. And if they can take an old part and refurbish it, then this, you know, suddenly they have this tremendous supply they can tap into, which was formerly
0: waste and is now available for them to reuse. Yeah, it's really cool. I know part of the promise of 3d printing is that, um, you know, if parts are not in stock anymore, they're not being made, you can have them made. So, you know, Things will, are less likely to become obsolete, but you're saying literally take the parts that wear out in some of these engines, put them in your machinery, and fix them up right then and there, and then put them back into the, you know, into the engine itself, and it's ready to go. Correct.
1: Yeah, and we it's frequently find ourselves. Yeah, we we find ourselves printing a portion of the part. So rather than print something from scratch, we'll often add five or ten percent of the volume of what the part will end up being to it and give it that differentiating performance.
0: Oh, so you'll uh, not only replace it, but sometimes you'll actually improve the part? Like, you know, I just thought of that. What if you have, um, I don't know, uh, you know, again, a widget that goes in an engine and it's traditionally made in a certain way, but through your method, you can make it with, uh, you know, 20% less weight. Would you swap it out for your version of it? Or do you have to, like, extensively test that to make sure that it won't blow up the engine?
1: Well, we absolutely would, depending on the application. GE uses some of our equipment or has done, and they, they published that they were repairing blades, which go back into you know, turbo machinery. And mm. they got some blades in from a customer that needed repair. And not only did they repair it, they had enough data on this particular design that they could add some features back to those blades, which improved the efficiency of the turbine. And so the customer not only got back repaired blades, they actually got significantly improved performance From these parts, they thought were just going to be repaired. So that was really exciting.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. Interesting. So um, any other use cases that you haven't mentioned?
1: One that we love right now is we're working on mold applications. So tooling and dyes and and those sorts of things. In particular, there's a company we love working with that makes molds for glass bottles. And in the glass bottle mold making, uh, they like bronze as a material because it helps conduct the heat out of the glass quickly and allows their cycle time to be fast. But the edges of the molds don't survive very well. And so they take these molds, they'll put them in a system, a CNC machine with our ambit system on it, and they'll add a a nickel-based super alloy to the edges and then finish machine the whole mold in a single setup. And it brings a tremendous amount of savings in terms of hassle for them there's no preheat required. It really streamlines uh, you know, the duration of what it takes them to make it. It cuts it by into a very small fraction and allows them this high performance by putting the high-performance material where it'll make a difference.
0: Yeah, that's very cool. What huh. or unusual things have you come across by, uh, you know, with these new methods?
1: Well, what we've seen industrially, you know, you know, we've just discussed a few examples of, what we see following on from that is the chance to overcome one of the biggest hurdles for additive. And if I back up I mean, we see additive with two main challenges. Oh, one can you say that again. Yeah, we see the uh, two follow-on opportunities. Additive has been developed in isolation from mainstream manufacturing. You know, it really evolved as a prototyping technique in a design department environment. And so by combining it with a CNC machine, there's automatically uptake into mainstream manufacturing, which is exciting. And I feel like that has been very well established and demonstrated with what we've done. What we're seeing next is the additive, you know, we talk about 3D printing or additive manufacturing as this large umbrella term within which there are six or seven, certainly seven standardized families of different techniques. And we don't often get into the detail to describe the difference between them. And what many people don't realize is they're very siloed. Very rarely does a part that's 3D printed get touched by multiple types of those seven 3D printing families. And in this architecture where we can switch between processes so easily, we're starting to see that multiple types of additive can be used with one another, overcoming this segregation, if you will. So if you want to print a part that's got metal and plastic features together, you can. If you want to add conductives inside of a metal enclosure, you can. And that's really the next chapter for innovation and additive, being able to mix these.
0: Okay, very interesting. So what's ahead now for the next year or so? What are you working on and where are things going?
1: We're excited about this potential to combine metal and polymer. So many If you think about the parts you have around your home, so many products have some metal components and some plastic components. And as far as we're aware, this is the first uh, commercial release of a system that's capable of doing both. And we've got multiple users now who are going forward with that charge and exploring new products, which will be exciting to see.
0: All right. Very good. And what's the best way for uh, interested parties to get in touch with you to find out more?
1: Probably start by visiting the website, hybridmanutech.com, and fill out a contact okay. sheet and tell us what you're interested in. All
0: right. Are there any particularly industries that you think uh, this would be most beneficial for versus ones that not?
1: Immediately, the remanufacturing industry has... Very obvious use cases, as does the the tooling, right? Molds and dyes and those types of things. And then following on from that, we'll see more sort of smart products come online.
0: Okay. Well, very good. Well, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: You have been listening to Almost Here Around the Corner Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast both to review